This episode is brought to you by Quests for Authenticity, a confidence coaching program that uses D&D to help you become just as confident in real life as your characters are at the game table. Visit www.questsforauthenticity.com to learn how the program helps people stop being an NPC in somebody else's story and become the hero of their own, or to take a free quiz that will stat you as a level one character in real life. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome back to the Compendium. We are here bringing you another class breakdown. This week we are diving into the clerics. Um, clerics are, I think, a little bit nice because we're going to be rewinding on the complexity just a little bit from the last couple that we had built up to. Um, and clerics are, I think, one of the potentially considered one of the more important classes in D&D. They actually appear um, third in the player's handbook for a really good reason. It's done alphabetically and it starts with the letter C. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, clerics are important. They're kind of known as the healer. And as you've all, I'm sure you've heard, even if you're new to D&D, there's always the trope of the, the healer in the party. Um, and that is really where the, the cleric is going to excel. Yeah, exactly. And cleric also has the advantage of being literally the oldest class in D&D. Was it always called the cleric? It was always called the cleric. Oh, I didn't even get a rebranding. All right. Yeah, because it was like, it was fighting man, <laughs> <laughs> magic user, thief, and then cleric and it's come a long way in the in the intervening time but it is more or less more or less unchanged its name has always been there though so that's kind of nice right so i'm i'm kind of excited to dive into this um we are going to kind of give an overview of what clerics are like why like their history where they come from um and then do your basic build of a cleric what to expect from your vanilla um basic cleric and then dive into all of the different divine domains um, that you can choose for your cleric. And there is a lot of them. And so we're going to kind of give an overview yes. of all of those. So let's just start out by talking about what is a cleric. Let's break down what that word kind of mean, what means, what it implies, the job, I guess, that it comes with. And kind of in the, in the lore, the story, if you're playing a, a cleric character, um, what the history would be to build up to that job, I guess. Yeah. So a cleric is someone who files paperwork, basically. Um, no, <laughs> uh, I remember hearing about the cleric for the first time back in the late 80s when I first started playing D&D. And I was very confused about what they were. Uh, and someone was like, no, it's like a priest. I'm like, oh, OK, OK. That, that makes a lot, lot more sense. Um, thematically, the cleric is a great class because it's a full caster that also has a lot of martial prowess, not as much as some of the others, but it's always been that kind of uh, dual purpose uh, kind of um, kind of class because yes, their faith and their magic and their healing and, uh, and all of that has always been important, but they were never as let's say helpless martially or in melee as some of the others, like the wizard has always kind of, traditionally been so yeah um the cleric is basically they are uh worshipers of a deity um and typically part of a organized system of religion with temples and shrines and and tenets and all these kinds of things 
uh, and they fit great into any kind of world or setting because there's always going to be these different kinds of deities. And unlike with a paladin who could potentially follow a code or an ideal without mm-hmm. a god, a cleric really does ha- really has taken like the mainline track of deity worship or god worship and gets their spells straight from that god as opposed to like the warlock kind of like is going around the side to do that or druids or rangers who worship the nature uh or the primal sources these really guys have like the main uh access to the gods right and you you kind of implied it with what you said but i want to dispel um i think what could be a very very common misconception i know i had it at first which is cleric equals good that's not necessarily no. true you you subscribe to a religion you follow mm. and and worship a deity that doesn't mean that the deity is a a good helpful loving kind deity the deity can be a lot of different things. So just because you're picking a cleric doesn't necessarily mean that you're now having to be railroaded into this like kind, loving, vanilla character. Not it at it all. can really be very, very diverse within that role. Right. And the gods of D&D, typically speaking, I mean, everyone can run them the way they want, but they really do take their cues from like the Greek and Roman pantheons and even Egyptian pantheons where there's a multitude of gods that each have their own sphere or domain. Right. So uh, if you think even like uh, if you think about the um, Norse gods, like before Marvel got a hold of them and really (laughs) kind of changed some things up. But like, you know, there was the god of rain and storms right there in Greek mythology. There's the god of fire and of creativity of the sky and lightning there's the god of uh fidelity and uh and love and of war and of crops and of the dead and all those things and so if you kind of have like a percy jackson mentality Mm -hmm. going into it you're like okay i I get this uh and also uh, i feel like the greek uh pantheons and roman pantheons are a really good touch point because the gods described in those cultures are capricious and flawed and very human in many ways in their squabbles and wants and desires and kind of pettiness almost. And so it's uh, not like, as you were kind of referencing, like a lot of the monotheistic face of earth where they're paragons of like all things and all things good and Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff and of law, uh, but rather it's all divvied up into different domains. And that's a key word that the cleric class uses is domains. What is the, um, the attribute portfolio of the deity that you worship. Right. It's almost like gang wars, but not yeah. right? where all of these different high level people have well, their turf yeah. and they have their followers. And that's, that's kind of like conceptually how D and D presents it. Um, and so it's a lot different than I think we're, we're um, conditioned to see it as in our yes. everyday world. Um, how do you say that people become clerics? Is that something where you are um, you know, you're like, I don't want to say indentured to servitude, but you're raised in the temple and your parents are like, okay, you're going to be conditioned and trained and raised for this role. Is that something where you can just find this God and be like, man, I really believe in you. I am going to become your, your most devout follower. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some, some, some ideas we can give people for how you can get into becoming a cleric. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's always the kind of, like you mentioned, the obvious track of growing up in that faith. And then when a character, you know, comes of age of making their own decisions and things that they decide that they're going to pledge their life to the service of their God or their church or their deity uh, that they were raised in. And what's amazing about that is it doesn't require, you know, study or training like a wizard does, uh, nor were you born with it like a sword where you just kind of you know continue on that path and are part of that religion and it is a main focus in your life so yeah so someone can you know grow up in the the you know the faith of dumathoin uh a god of the dwarves uh and just be you know a very ardent worshiper and be part of the rituals and worship and feast days and all the stuff that comes with that religion and become a cleric other people could come to it later in life you know that there could be something in the background that uh you know that there's a calamity where you know just crops aren't growing and the whole countryside is just really uh down on their luck and they're a farmer and they start just reaching out to you know some god they've heard about that was in charge of crops and rains and 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 being bountiful and start praying and worshiping and become come to it that way where it's less structured um mm-hmm. though typically i think in most games and in even in the fiction of D, we see typically that the face of D do have structure it, it's not um free form uh jazz like us like sometimes in our world there typically is a structure but not always and, and i think there are some um there are some gods that are presented in player's handbook and other source material that don't have a huge hierarchy but there's some especially if they those deities aren't worshipped in uh, in public like perhaps a god of death um mm. or of undeath uh and things like that or god of travelers and luck like there's not a big hierarchy and established infrastructure when it comes to those so there's a couple ways to do it uh but the the thing is is there really does need to be a a god there really does need to be at least some understanding of what your god teaches and what their kind of tenets are and I think there's actually some really good material in the Dungeon Master's Guide on that. But yeah, that's th- those are kind of the most common ways uh, to right. do it. And, and you probably go back too also to listen to our um, conversations on the Warlock and the Paladin. And some of those things we talked about there could easily be adapted. It's just not mm-hmm. as uh, common in what I've seen at least, but absolutely able to do. Right. And and I mean, you kind of touched on it with talking about needing to know like, okay, what is this God all about and what is their purpose? Um, part of what could be very uh, common for a, a call to adventure for a, you're talking about a level one cleric would be spreading the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. They're going out yeah. to, to do this God's bidding or to uh, bring the word of this deity to other villages, other places. And they want to go adventuring to these unexplored locations that are dangerous because that's where their God sees them as being needed most. Um, and so you could very easily find a way to um, incorporate that class into your plot hook for why you're an adventurer too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just to like uh, fourth edition was really good about giving those tenants and things. Um, but uh, in D&D 5e, they don't do it quite as much. 
but um, it, you can go online and find like, you know, just type in gods of D and D and there's some really good ones uh, that you can find. Uh, I like the descriptions that 4E use actually a lot. Like there's a Vondra, the goddess of change, luck and travel, Panthe- uh, patron of halflings, uh, revered by rogues, travelers and merchants. Uh, and even tells like who she hates, uh, you know, um, and let me see here if it gives like, you know, um, like what their tenants are. I, I, I remember in the fourth edition book, they would do that. Um, but uh, it would say stuff like uh, those uh, free those from uh, others who would oppress their freedom. You know, like you give like almost like how in the backgrounds and D and D they give you like you know, what's a flaw, what's a um, a, a relationship, a bond, mm-hmm. ideal. Yeah, and they would kind of do that with the different uh, gods of D and D, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. So with that background of kind of that concept of okay, what is a cleric? Let's dive into level one cleric, the build. Um, let's look at what makes them a full caster that's a little bit more capable than a wizard or some of the other caster classes that we've seen. And um, some, some suggestions on when you're building that character where you should look to put some of those ability scores or some of the options you can take to really start creating that character the way you want to play them. Yeah. Uh, so clerics, first of all, is always going to be with or rather sh- typically is wisdom based. They're one of the many uh, wisdom based uh, uh, classes out there for spell casting, which makes a lot of sense because it's not about your intelligence. It's about your um you know, the wisdom, like you usually think of wisdom in the context of the wise scholar or the learned man, the, you know, the, the, the monk out in like, you know, the European style monk out in the desert, who's been meditating on the, you know, the, the nature of the universe and the nature of dualism and the physical world versus the spiritual world. Right. So, uh, and also wisdom is a stat that's used in D and D for things like perception, uh, and being aware of your surroundings. And they kind of key onto that and taking it to like almost a cosmic or religious level, being aware of the greater world around them, not just the physical things, but also the spiritual and metaphysical, which is kind of cool. So wisdom is going to be always really important for spellcasting when it comes to, uh, uh, to the clerics, uh, but uh, after that, constitution or strength is usually a good one. Um, uh, a lot of the physical weapons they can use is going to be keyed off of strength, not a lot of dex-based clerics, though I have done one before. Um, and an easy option for background be something like Acolyte, but honestly, mm-hmm. you can pick anything. It doesn't really, really matter. Um, right, you but, could uh, be a, a folk hero or a charlatan and just pick a deity that you know is like deception. <laughs> Yeah. And a, so a tr- you could find some fun ways domain, to yeah. yeah. Trickster domain god. Yeah, exactly. Or charlatan and pick with one of the typically seen as evil deities. And you're like, oh, no, no, I'm actually a, a cleric of the Dawn Father of Pelor. But really, you're like, you know, into like the god of murder, Cyril, or whatever. Um, I think that's what his name is. But yeah, um, getting into like the stats, though, um, you D8 for hit dice. Um and you get light armor, medium armor, and shields. Although I mean, there's that a lot right of this, there is a good bump for a caster. It really is. There's not a lot of full casters that get that off the bat. And there's uh, several domains, the subclasses that you can pick that'll give you access to even more armor and more weapons. Uh, so but, a quick pause real quick on a slight segue. When yeah. you're doing a somatic casting spell, how does mm-hmm. that work if you're holding a shield? Is the expectation you just have to have one hand free? 
Uh, so typically a cleric, ha- they have a um, somatic. Yeah, they'd have to have one hand free. And I think technically you're holding a shield and a weapon that doesn't work. But mm-hmm. I, I'm all, eh, yeah. I- I'm okay with that. Just like, curious. To, yeah, like I'm not going to be big onto that especially because they're they're uh spell casting focus um for a lot of like material replacement you know for spells is just their holy symbol which is like really easy to like put on a shield or you know sometimes the holy symbol of some deities are the weapon that you're holding itself you know mm-hmm. that a, a scythe or a sickle or a mace is the symbol so like you're just you're great you just hold out your mace and channel divine energy and make all the skeletons explode um but yeah Exactly. Uh, they get simple weapons, no tools, which, you know, you get that from your background, probably. Saving throws, wisdom and charisma. And then you can choose two skills, history, insight, medicine, persuasion and religion. Um, and which is really good because wisdom uh, is keyed for insight, for medicine uh, and uh, oh, and religion, though, weirdly, is not wisdom. It's intelligence along with history. Uh, so, you know, there you go. Uh, I thought it was kind of a little odd, but then you can start off with a mace or a war hammer if you're proficient. Uh, and a lot of them are, and you can choose like leather armor or scale mail or chain mail if proficient, uh, which is really nice because you get your subclass at level one, like we said. And so a lot of these guys, when you're making your cleric off the bat, you already get extra stuff just from the word go. And so mm-hmm. they give you extra options as starting equipment for free that can key off the extra options you get at your your subclass which is a little bit different and i kind of really really like that um a shield and a holy symbol like crossbow simple or a simple weapon a priest pack or an explorer pack so um that's kind of stuff you get off the the bat as a cleric and you can cast spells at level one you get your divine domain uh at level one you get a lot of stuff right away um What's really interesting about, do you want to talk about the spell casting for a second? Because they do it a, a little bit different than a lot of people. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and, and do an overview of the cleric spell casting real quick. Um, and especially how it differs from some of the other casters. So we can define that for people that are playing one caster to a different one. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you get cantrips at first level, three of them of your choice from the list. Uh, and then oftentimes you'll get extra uh, cantrips uh, later because of your subclass. But um, the the number of spell slots that you have on the chart there in the player's handbook uh, are just the slots that you have. When it comes to preparing and casting spells, this is where it gets a little bit different. So um, when every day you prepare the spells that you want to know, like a wizard does, but it has to come from the a little bit bigger repertoire that you have in your spell book. But with a cleric, every cleric spell is available to you every single day when you prepare your spells. You get to pick from anything on the list. It's a smorgasbord. It's a buffet. Because you're praying in the morning to your deity and you tell them what you would like and they can just give it to you. Right. So uh, if you've ever, you know, made a cleric in D&D Beyond and then printed uh, for whatever reason, the spell sheet, the spell sheet is buck wild because it's just slammed full of stuff because it shows you everything that you could prepare, which is all of it, which is everything, <laughs> which is all. Yeah, you're, you're going to run out of ink um, and you just have to pick every day what you do. So a lot of people they'll do is 
uh, or what I even recommend is think about like, well, what's your like daily loadout? Like just for a random, you know, adventuring day or in town, like what do you always want to have ready? If you know your next day, you're going into a big battle, have a different like loadout of more, you know, uh, uh, battle ready uh, spells. And then if you're going to be doing sneak or you want to be like the main healer, like have different complements, different loadouts that you can do and have them like on an index card you can keep around with you mm-hmm. and choose from that kind of preset, which it makes it really easy. Um, but uh, yeah, but then ap- beyond that, you can only choose a certain number of spells to prepare every day. And that is equal to your wisdom modifier and your cleric level, minimum of one. Uh, and that's how you go. So, so as you, you go should, up, probably you'd be like a maybe two, possibly three when you're a level one. Um, probably three or four actually, because if you're, it's really yeah, if you're easy loading to get, into wisdom, I guess. Yeah. 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 If, if you take the suggestion and you have a 16, which is really easy to do, uh, and not even be your highest stat, um, uh, that would give you a, a three and then your level's one. So that's four. So you could really easily have three or four spells prepared, which is consistent with a lot of the other, um, uh, full casters we've seen on our list from the arcane and the divine uh, list. So, yeah. Yeah. That would be a good reason too. If you're, you know, we haven't obviously gotten there yet, but at the points that you might be able to take in a, an ASI an ability score increase as you're mm-hmm. leveling up, it might be a good incentive to level up your wisdom um, just specifically so that you can ready another spell, because that would allow you to then increase the number of spells you could have prepared in the day um, exactly. by a, a default too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, saving throws and uh, attack modifiers done the same way as always. Eight plus proficiency bonus plus wisdom for the attack. Proficiency bonus plus wisdom. Uh, you also were a ritual caster, which we haven't really talked about a whole lot. But basically, if something has the ritual tag, you're able to use that in a kind of a longer sense and cast that spell without using a spell slot. Uh, and typically they'll use a holy symbol as their spell casting focus. So yeah, pretty straightforward. It's just that every day you have the entire cleric spell list and any additional spells you get from your subclass to choose from when you choose which spells you'll be using based on your wisdom bonus plus your uh, cleric level. Can you, oh man, like I'm just thinking about like the, I want to say worst case scenario, but like if you multi-classed multiple casters, like what you have access to would be phenomenal. Especially if like starting out with cleric, just right out the gate, you automatically get every single thing out of the cleric list as a Mm -hmm. level one caster. You could build a very interesting caster that has access to a huge amount of spells. Yeah, the versatility alone is ridiculous, especially when you consider that pairing that with your subclass, which might give you access to some kind of uh, off-label spells that you don't usually see clerics casting. Uh, And then whatever you subclass into, it gets kind of wild, uh, especially if you're doing something that's pure arcane, like the wizard, sorcerer, uh, or artificer um, would do that. So yeah, uh, it's it's pretty wild. Um, But uh, yeah. Um, yeah. uh, and, uh, then at level one, you also get to choose your divine domain, which we'll talk about in depth here in a little bit, but basically, uh, it opens, it gives you an extra little bump of cool things and also opens up the spell list even further. Um, and, uh, also lets you, uh, have spells that are always prepared 
no matter what and doesn't count against the number of spells you have prepared in a day. Oh, wow. Right. And that's at level one. So we're not talking about four prepared spells potentially or hypothetically. We're talking about even more than that. Exactly. Um, the uh, like, I'll just pull up one here real quick. So, uh, like, one of this uh, typically you'll see is uh, new cleric spells for you at first, third, fifth, seventh, and ninth, um, and um, uh, of those levels. And basically, like for instance, you could have detect magic and magic missile just always on your sh- on your sheet, and they don't count against the other ones you have. So. To go back to your point, it even further opens up that versatility to a ridiculous level, and I am here for it. Yeah. So let's move on to um, your vanilla cleric uh, level two. When you get up to level two, you get an additional ability called channel divinity. Um, So let's talk a little bit about what channel divinity is and what it does for you as a cleric. Yeah. So Channel Divinity is really cool because it, in a way it's kind of like the evoca- uh, invocations from the Warlock in that you have this other thing that is like spellcasting, but is not spellcasting, where you are just channeling pure divine energy to do a certain effect. It is a consumable resource, but it's not a spell, even though sometimes it really does feel like a spell. Um, and you can always do two things with it. You can turn undead, which is a mis a very misleading name. It doesn't mean you can turn into an undead creature. It means that you can turn away undead creatures. So if zombies and skeletons are like shambling towards you. You can hold out your holy symbol and channel pure divine energy through it. And they have to like go away. And later it can even destroy them outright, which is kind of fun. Um, and then the second thing you can do is based on your divine domain. Um, and it can be everything from spell-like effects to getting a plus 10 to your hit, to your uh, uh, attack roll, uh, which is nuts. And oftentimes, wow. oftentimes they don't even require an action. Um, they can be just like things that you can just add on or they're a bonus action. Now, there's some that are actions because they're pretty beefy, but a lot of times there's little like, oomphs, little extra things you can just do uh, on top of it, which is why a lot of people will argue that clerics are the most powerful characters uh, potentially in Oh, I'm already hearing it. I mean, we haven't even dug into the meat of, I mean, we're, we're, we've barely scratched the surface of the cleric and it's already shockingly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. We're at level two. Um, And uh, basically, even though you have two options, you can only use it uh, once before you have to finish a short or long rest. Later at level six, you can do it twice between rests. And then at level 18, you can use it three times between rests, which is pretty rad. Uh, So, uh, and then with the turn on dead thing, basically that is an action. Uh, It reaches anything within 30 feet and uh, make a wisdom saving throw. Uh, and the creature, if it fails, has to move as far away as it can um, on its turn. And also it can't take reactions and it can only on its action use the DAS action to try to get further away from you. So you really are pushing them away like it's a, a, a an invisible force of, of goodness or holiness or whatever from these undead abominations. So I'm actually, I'm kind of curious to continue that thread because I feel like that's coming back to 
um, almost feel like a counter argument to what I said in the beginning of being a cleric does not necessarily mean that you're like all good all the time. So what is your definition of why all clerics, regardless of their oh my gosh, divine domain, um, have these innate always on, if you will, abilities to repel undead? Because that seems like just a class feature, no matter what the domain is. And you could take a domain that's the death domain, right? You can worship mm-hmm. the god of death. So how does that cross over? How do you think that works? Or how does it make sense within the lore or or the pantheon of D&D? Yeah, I don't know if it is an easy explanation in the lore of D&D mechanically. I think it's just something that they assume player characters who will be going through dungeons, tombs, and the Underdark and the like are going to come across undead. And this is an easy way to give them a little bump. That's also like a legacy thing. They've always kind of been able to do this. Um, but it's, uh, so I don't know about that. I think when, I wonder if it's just one of those things where undeath represents a, uh, a violation of the natural order. Um, and therefore any of the gods can give this ability to their acolytes, to their worshipers, to, you know, as a representative of the natural order that they themselves created to push back undead, um, and but you do see some things like with uh, the cleric and the paladin, where you're right, where they start worshiping something uh, more like a, like the god of death or, or the grave or something like that, where they can um, bolster undead and make it harder for people to uh, defeat undead and things like that. Um, I think the grave domain um, also can do a C. Uh, it yeah, it doesn't mess with the turning undead but it does do some other kind of wild things so yeah so yeah it's, it's, it's a little odd but it's just kind of it's just what they do i've definitely always wanted to see a cleric and a necromancer in the same party mm-hmm. <laughs> just because that's the kind of chaotic neutral that i am as a dm yes. where i'm just like hmm, what would happen and you're just like turn undead and the necromancer is like you moron as their zombies go shambling off away from the fray as well <laughs> exactly it's like look what i did no stop it um yeah it's pretty funny um the uh continuing on the list though uh you've got your asis your ability score improvements at fourth eighth twelfth sixteenth and nineteenth um pretty standard there nothing surprising uh at fifth level the turn undead feature uh now becomes destroy undead uh which is kind of fun where if the creature fails its saving throw and it's under a certain CR, instead of fleeing, it just gets obliterated. And if you know you've seen uh, uh, you know Vox, the Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon or watched your Critical Role, uh, their cleric Pike does this a lot, and it's always super rad. Uh, but it seems to cap out at CR four, which is still pretty impressive. Um, but that's level yeah, seventeen. I mean, by the time that you get up to a a you know challenge rating for undead it's like you're probably getting into something bigger and stronger than mindless creatures so yeah. there's more there's more going on there that it makes sense that something like this might not affect it the same way yeah exactly and then also too do you really want to give uh because undead make re- especially high level ones can make really great villains you know vampires and strahd and liches and all this other stuff death knights do you really want to give just a, a mere player character the chance to just go 
bye-bye and instantly defeat it. That doesn't, narratively speaking, I'm like, yeah, I see why they would cap it at, at a relatively low CR, CR4. So there you go. Uh, but they do get some really cool things that can be game-breaking. At 10th level, uh, and this is the last kind of vanilla feature, they get Divine Intervention, uh, which is as cool as it sounds, is that you can uh, call your DD to intervene on your behalf when the need is great. Um, so basically, you can describe the assistance that you're seeking and roll on a percentile die. Uh, if you roll a number equal or lower than your cleric level, so the best you'll get is a 20% chance your deity hears you and goes, yeah, I'll step in here. Uh, and, but it's up to the DM to choose the nature of the intervention. Um, uh, and Ooh. it can, yeah. Uh, the DM chooses the nature of the intervention. The effect of any cleric spell or cleric domain domain spell would be appropriate. Now, not a cleric spell that you can cast any cleric spell. So it, it can be kind of wild, but fortunately it is in the hands of the DM who's uh, depending on their, their, their comfort level when it comes to chaos uh, can help mitigate that. Um, if your DD intervenes, you can't use it again for seven days. Uh, if they don't intervene, you can use it the next day after a long rest um, at level 20, your call for intervention succeeds automatically. No role required. I mean, level 20, like, okay, yeah, that's it's fair. Like, it's their own little wish spell that they can just do because they're a cleric. <laughs> so, yeah. So speaking of game breaking, right? Um, but so uh, let's yeah. talk about something else, too. As you were talking about, the DM gets to choose from the, the cleric spells. Um, it made me think about the the times in the campaigns where clerics might stray from their deities or might yes. start acting against them. And I know you and I have had this conversation and I think it's important to bring up here that it can become an in-game mechanic, especially yes. as the DM seems, DMCs fit to exercise the, the consequences of that. And, and that could be like, even if you succeed on this, your intervention might be your deity giving you like a level one cleric bump because mm -hmm. they're like, you don't really deserve a whole lot from me right now. Why did you bother me? Um, yeah. And so let's talk a little bit and like interject how you run that, what your thoughts are on when players either consciously or unconsciously start to deviate from their deity, especially with a class that is so absolutely focused on having to follow that deity in order to channel that power. Yeah. When, when players, and it doesn't happen that often, actually, uh, in my experience, when they start to take their class features for granted, because this is one of the few classes where you super can't do that. Warlock is another good one. Paladin is right. another good one. Um, you know, fighters don't have this problem. Uh, but uh, because their power is so great, but the aperture in which it comes through is so small, a single deity with a single relationship or adherence to uh, a list of, of tenants and, and rules and regulations, it could be really, really bad. And again, to reference back to Vox Machina, because it's a, a really common touchstone for a lot of people, you see that with Pike. She goes through a crisis of faith where a lot of her spells just aren't working because she feels like she's walked off the path that she was supposed to be on. Um, and so it does give you a lot of great uh, narrative ammunition and fodder as a dungeon master to 
move the course of the whole adventure so that their cleric who they really need to be at full power to you know castings like resurrections and healing mm-hmm. and such um to go on a side quest where they can figure out you know how to get redemption or how to uh do this uh this kind of journey of self-realization and, and repentance and, and renewal or travel to the new nearest temple to make a sacrifice or... exactly yeah and i know a lot of people who will say yeah listen i know what this spell resurrection says but you have to do it at one of your temples uh so there's an added bonus there because you're going to need to be in a focal point of divine energy for this to work mm-hmm. or also just like with warlocks again when you have this uber powerful being whispering in your ear, uh, we call that prayer, um, then they can give you missions like straight from the mouth of the, de- of the deity or AKA the DM that is really easy to hand that stuff off. And so the clerics really do become a great boon to storytelling because uh, getting information getting direction and even giving new quests can oftentimes come on the back of the uh, cleric and their relationship with their deity, which is kind of great. Yeah. It's and like as a-, a player too, you could have fun with like, if you low, ro- if you roll low, when you're trying to cast something and it, it fails, you could play that as like questioning if your god has turned their back, if you're not doing enough, and like really just amp up just the random chance of the game and and wrap it into your experience and just see what yeah. comes of it. What I would like to do with it uh, in the near future, I don't know if you've seen these guys on TikTok, uh, Dempsey and Davis, they do Demigod Helpline. Uh, oh yeah where uh, like hercules or perseus or whoever will call in and they don't get their divine parent they get jan uh who is the in-between who literally works at a divine call center and tries to help them solve their problems and i would love for a low rolls or bad rolls rather on this divine intervention thing when they pray they don't get zeus or hephaestus they get jan I think that would be hilarious. Uh, so uh, you can have a lot of fun with it. Uh, there's a webcomic called Order of the Stick, where for a while their cleric, their dwarf cleric of Thor, uh, when he would try to do stuff like that, he would get a uh, automated uh, uh, call center where he would have to like spell like the first few letters of the uh, effect that he was trying to get. But he, <laughs> But he has a terrible, like, just thick Scottish accent that's even you can see it in the comic. Uh, and oftentimes we get, you know, he's looking for like healing, but instead it's like, you have selected herpes. Is this what you wanted? No. And then, like, it's just like basically, you know, automated uh, operator, operator, uh, Thor, get me Thor. And it's just, it's great. So there's a lot of fun that could be had. It's almost uh, like the DM being able to make up wild magic of their own story, yes, but for yes. the cleric like in a lot of ways i think that the dm could just think of it in that context and then run with that thread yeah absolutely um there is one little addendum to the to the as we said the vanilla uh cleric that i want to add that if you do have tasha's uh cauldron of everything which i highly recommend there are three new uh abilities for all that you can choose to use if you want 
for all uh, all clerics. Uh, there's a level two thing called Harness Divine Power, uh, where as a bonus action, you can uh, use your holy symbol and regain one expended spell slot, kind of like how wizards can do. Uh, and the uh, level of that spell slot can't be any higher than half your proficiency bonus rounded up. And uh, you can use it uh, once at second level, twice at uh, sixth level, and three times at 18th level and it recharges on a long rest you at fourth level you can switch out uh cantrips which is kind of common now and then at eighth level um there's a thing that can replace divine strike or potent spell castings which we'll get into later uh where basically you can just um do uh, when you hit something with a weapon or a cantrip you can add extra d8 of radiant damage to it uh and you can only uh do it uh once per turn so little little flavor things there not anything groundbreaking but it's uh it's nice to have Mm -hmm. so let's dive into the divine domains yeah um there are a lot of them and again this is rewinding to level one you get to pick this as a level one so when you're building your character you have to select this um, and there are a just a massive amount to choose from. So we're going to do some um, more in-depth looks at some of the more common ones that you're going to find or some of the more potentially like powerful ones that you might yeah. see. And then an overview of the rest so that you can have a, a general understanding of what's out there um, and a concept of what they do. So you can go do some deep dives yourself if it sounds interesting. Exactly. And I, I was thinking about doing the life domain as the one we kind of really explore to show the template because that is also it's a very very common one because mm-hmm. you get extra healing and it's also in the basic rules that are free that anyone can go get yeah. uh, i think for a lot of people that's their first experience with a cleric because it's the most clericy of all the clerics you yeah know? it enforces the trope of the healer of the group <laughs> exactly entirely. yeah and what i love too is it gives uh, a certain description of what they're all about and even some uh uh potential gods that they could worship from a bunch of different uh pantheons uh like from uh like uh from greek mythology and then also from like dnd mythology from uh norse and egyptian so there's a lot of really cool things uh like um where i just saw it uh Pelor, uh lathander from dnd stuff uh but you also have like hathor from uh uh, from the Greek gods as well, and and uh, Demeter, you know, um, and things like that. So it's kind of nice. Um, so their extra um, spells uh, at first level, they always have bless and cure wounds prepared. So that's already on the list, but they'll always be able to do bless and cure wounds, right? Which makes a lot of sense. At third level. Uh, they always have prepared lesser restoration. So like getting things like blinded, deafened, paralyzed, poisoned off of a character, this is the easy way to do it. And yeah. spiritual weapon, which is a great spell. Yeah, uh, and I think too, one of the things that I wanted to point out is that there was no third level improvement for your vanilla cleric. So right. third level is is pretty much going to come always in your divine domains. And it's going to yes. be probably something a little more hardy because it's non-existent in just your basic vanilla. Um, exactly. So- yeah, exactly. And that's why it was so fast talking about the the bare bones cleric, um, uh, because most of what 
fills in those gaps is repetitive things like turn undead, destroy undead, ASIs, and then stuff from your domain. Right. Uh, probably more so than some of the a lot of the other uh, classes we've looked at. Uh, fifth level, they get Beacon of Hope and Revivify, which is a quick acting uh, resurrection spell. At seventh level, they get Death Ward, which can help keep everyone alive and Guardian of Faith. At ninth level, uh, they get Mass Cure Wounds and Raise Dead, uh, which is a much more uh, beefy uh, and longer taking uh, resurrection spell. Um, they also get a bonus proficiency of heavy armor, uh, which we kind of mentioned before. And then also they get uh, Disciple of Life, uh, which is basically whenever they do a healing spell, it's more effective. Um, so if they use a first level spell or higher to restore hit points to a creature, the creature regains additional hit points equal to two plus the spells level. Oh, wow. So it's just a little like bump uh, yeah. that in a, in many ways just like doubles the f- the lowest possible amount of healing, mm-hmm. uh, which is really nice because it's a, this great safety net because Cure Wounds is like 1d8, I think, plus your uh, ability casting modifier. And so like, let's say that's like four is the minimum. And then here, that's an extra three. At, at minimum so that's seven so you know you're always going to give at least seven hit points to somebody which at you know first level which is what this is that could be almost all of your hit points which is mm-hmm. great yeah. <laughs> yeah oh first level characters yeah which thank paylor really helps um so uh and then their channel divinity is something called preserve life as an action you can present your holy symbol and invoke healing energy it's like a like when you put a halls in your mouth and you have a cold and just the effervescence just comes off of you uh you can restore hit points uh yeah i know um you can restore hit points equal to a number uh five times your cleric level so you can just at second level you can just give 10 hit points as an action that's not a spell mm-hmm. to uh to any creature within 30 feet of you including yourself or divide them among uh any number of creatures in the range uh so you can kind of give a little bit of healing to everybody and this is great because it scales as you go up so at 20th level that's a hundred hit points you can just dump into one person or give a little top off to everybody in your party um and uh but you can't restore a creature to uh more than half its hit point maximum so uh it is when they're like really down uh this is going to be able to use to help them get back up and then maybe use some of your other uh abilities to do that um at sixth level you have blessed healer uh which sounds like a hymn somehow blessed healer um that uh when you cast a spell of first level or higher that restores hit points on a creature other than you, you regain hit points equal to two plus the spells level. So now you get bonus healing from your first level ability from disciple of life. And now at sixth level, you get a little kickback. You get like a, 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 a you just feel so good about what you're doing and all the good you're doing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, you, you get like you up a little. Yeah, you get you you get affiliate hit points because you're doing your God's work. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna call those affiliate hit points from now on because that was good. Um, and then eighth level divine strike, which is one of those abilities that you, you can use Tasha's to switch out, but 
basically you can infuse your weapons with divine energy. And once on each of your turns, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you can cause the attack to do an extra D8 of radiant damage. And at 14th level, it jumps to 2D8. So uh, you can kind of, in a way, give a little bit of a, a run for the money to paladins uh, just much mm-hmm. later in your growth track. And then their Super Saiyan, their capstone ability is Supreme Healing. At level 17 and above, when you would roll one or more dice to restore hit points with a spell, instead you use the highest number possible for each die. Oh, wow. So instead of rolling 2d6 hit points, uh, you would just restore 12 plus whatever other bonuses are there. So you just don't have to roll in healing anymore. You can just give max healing all the time. And there's no there's no caveats here. Not once per day, once per long or short rest. This is whenever you would roll one or more die to restore hit points with a spell, not channel divinities, just use the max die. That's it, period. <laughs> All I can think of is like a DM using the optional rules of gritty realism. Be like, you guys are messing it up. <laughs> yeah, this is neither gritty nor real. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, you you let a cleric, a cleric into the party. That's how it goes. Uh, so, yeah, so that's kind of the template. As you can see, that kind of lays over all of the vanilla stuff we talked about and really dials in the theme or domain or portfolio of that god onto uh, this cleric that really gives them the flavor that you're looking for. And there's a lot of really good ones on here. Right. And nothing there is is um, unique from itself, right? Like you said, mm-hmm. it just continues to narrow the focus tighter and tighter and stronger into one very specialized area. Um, right. So it's just deepening your ability to do this one thing very well. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like reading the name of the capstone ability, that 17th level thing, is what that domain's all about. And so in the life uh life domain, it's called supreme healing. So I'm all, mm-hmm. yeah, what are they all about? Supreme healing. That makes a lot so, of sense. Yeah. It's a good, so, like cheat yeah. to like scan. <laughs> yeah. Put that on like the, the note tab, you know, you have on the side of your book, like, you know, oh, that's what this one's all about. Uh, so do you want to go through and do like the quick overview of the other like 19 or so <laughs> divine yeah, domains we have? Uh, let's go through and do kind of what they're they're called, where to find them um, as well. So that if people are intrigued, they know where to go look for this thing or what source book to buy. Um, and then maybe just like the, the concept of what it gives you, not necessarily each individual features because there's so many, but really the, that, that, that focus, that laser focus, if you will, onto one niched area so that people can understand what that might give them to, to dive down a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and some of these, I know where they come from and some of them I ha- I'm like, I think it's from here. So if you know, please let me know. Cause I, uh, I, I know a lot of things, but I don't know everything. Um, but, uh, there's 14 total, uh, domains, uh, that uh, at least are in D and beyond and about ha- almost half of them, about a 40% of them come from the player's handbook. Right. Uh, which is, which is rare. I feel like the, the PHB yeah. only has like maybe three of something and then everything else is scattered between source books. So it's very interesting that the PHB actually has such a high concentration of these yeah. options already it, listed in it. Yeah. It has seven of the 14. So yeah, half. Um, and the rest of them are going to come from things like Fizbin's, Xanathar's uh, and uh, Tasha's things like that. So it's pretty easy to find them uh, if you're looking for those. So the first one up is uh, the Arcana domain. Uh, These are people who uh, are into 
you know, uh, magic, uh, like arcane power in things. Because, of course, there's a god of arcane magic. Way to cross the streams, Ray. Um, but that's how that goes. And they get things like uh, like extra spells like magic missile uh, and detect magic. And so they just get even... spells with the word magic in it because they like the word magic. <laughs> you know what? You're not wrong. You're super not wrong. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of like uh, wizard spells on this list, but yeah, like a cleric doing magic missile is very funny to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, it makes sense. They get things like the Arcana skill. Uh, they get two extra uh, cantrips from the wizard list. Uh, their divine uh, channel divinity is arcane abjuration, where basically they can also turn things like not just undead but also elementals celestials fey or fiends which is kind of neat oh nice yeah yeah um and uh they get uh spell breaker potent spell casting which is kind of fun um but their big thing is called their capstone is called arcane mastery which is what they're really all about you choose four spells from the wizard spell list one from each of the following levels six seven eight oh yeah and ninth what you You add them to your list of domain spells like your other domain spells they are always prepared and count as cleric spells for you wish here we come meteor swarm no problem so at 17 are you can you cast level nine spells yes you can okay because i was like wait can you even do that or is it giving a spell that you can't actually access yet how does that work 17 is typically where you get access to your ninth level spell uh yeah so that's that's arcane domain which is buck wild then there's the death domain uh people like ball uh hades hell uh hella uh would also be good choices for this uh they get spells like uh false life ray of sickness uh, vampiric touch ray of enfeeblement and even things like anti-life shell from the ninth level uh or at ninth level as a fifth level spell um, they also get proficiency with martial weapons at first level. Um, they learn one uh, uh, necromancy cantrip uh, from any spell list, which is kind of great. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, if it normally can only target one creature, it can instead target two creatures. Oh. As long as as long as they're next to each other, which is like I've used that before on like thought experiments where I'm all okay. Check this out. Um, their uh, channel divinity is called Touch of Death. Um, Touch of Death. Uh, where they can basically just make a melee attack and use their channel divinity to do extra necrotic damage, five plus twice your cleric level, uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, they, uh, but, um, their channel divinity later can ignore resistance to necrotic damage. Uh, they get divine strike where they can do uh, more necrotic damage with their hits. And then <laughs> their capstone ability is called improved reaper i didn't know he needed improving to begin with so well that's the case they're about to make i guess um so when the cleric casts a necromancy spell of first through fifth that targets only one creature the spell can instead target two creatures in range within fifth level so it's like their first level ability Mm -hmm. at the top that goes all the way to fifth level uh and if uh but if the spell consumes material components you have to provide those things um and you can just do that whenever the conditions are perfect. You're, you're good to go. So, yeah. So, uh, and it was interesting too, is it even seems like, uh, cause it's called improved Reaper. So the death domain is not about like, uh, bringing undead to life. It's about helping people into the grave, helping them Bring pass on to death. Undead. Yes. Like I've the Reaper, I've come to reap your soul. 
Um, so yeah, there's like, yeah, promoting death all over the place. Let me help you out with that. Uh, I like you could also be like, yeah, Thanos, he's my, uh, my God. You know what? You're not wrong. Um, that's pretty good actually. Uh, then you have forge domain, which is a lot of fun. Uh, Hephaestophus would be a great one for this, uh, where basically they're the gods of the forge. Uh, they, uh, get spells like identify, uh, heat metal, obviously fabricate, uh, creation. Yeah, really good. Uh, they also get proficiency with heavy armor and Smith's tools, which makes a lot of sense. And this one's so wild at level one, they can imbue magic into a weapon or armor at the end of a long rest. You can touch a non-magical object, like a suit of armor or a simple or martial weapon. Cause you can use, uh, you, can, you might be able to use those too, uh, until the next long rest or you die. Thanks for that. Uh, it becomes an object, a magical object. So it would either give a plus one bonus to your AC if it's armor or a plus one bonus to attack and damage if it's a weapon. So you can get a magic weapon at level one because you made it. You infused magic for the rest of the day into this thing. Uh, and you can do it only once per long rest where you can just keep doing it over and over again, basically. Um, and then their channel of divinity is something called Artisan's Blessing. Uh, it's an hour-long ritual. So this is way different than some ones we looked at before. Yeah. Uh, on a Where you can craft a non-magical item that includes some metal. Um, and what you create can't be worth more than a hundred GP. And, uh, what it does is, uh, what does it do? Oh, it just helps you make anything you want, basically. So the ritual can, <laughs> yeah, I was like reading everything. going. I was reading, I was like, you can just make whatever. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Uh, the ritual can create a duplicate of a non-magical item that contains metal, such as a key, if you possess the original during the ritual. So you become a locksmith. Um, you're like that machine at the grocery store that can copy your keys. But basically, you can just make whatever you need. Uh, the rogue as could steal long... it. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, keep the, uh, not the rogue, um, we, someone else could keep the, uh, the owner of it busy for a little while, for an hour. Like yeah, like the bard, and then they come yeah, back and the they bard. have a copy of the key. Yeah, and then so, you just put the original back, and you still have the copy for your, yeah. you know, Ocean's Eleven scene coming here. Exactly. <laughs> now this this one doesn't excite me like some of the others, but it is still kind of cool because you can do a lot with that. Um, so there's this song by the Longest Johns called "Hammer and the Anvil" song. Yes, <laughs> check it out if you haven't heard it. It's like the theme song for this divine domain. Mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah, we, we should start making playlists for all these uh, uh, classes. Um, so uh, they later get Soul of the Forge, where they gain resistance to fire damage, and Heavy Armor gives them a bump to their AC, Divine Strikes, uh, and then their uh, Capstone ability is called The Saint of Forge and Fire, which is a fantasy book I would absolutely read. Um, you gain immunity to fire damage. And while you're wearing heavy armor, you have resistance to BPS, bludgeoning, piercing, slashing from non-magical attacks. You become oh, a tank. That. You yeah. just become a tank, which is awesome. Uh, then you have the grave domain. Uh, Osiris, Hades, Anubis uh, uh, are good examples of this. Uh, they get things like false life, bane, gentle repose, raised dead, anti-life shell, a lot of crossover with the death domain. Uh, they're a little bit different, though, because at first level, they gain the ability to manipulate the line between death and life. So the death cleric is trying to help you die. These guys are like, eh, it's wishy-washy, that line. Uh, when it you would depends on what I need from you right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you would normally roll one or more die to restore hit points with a spell to a creature who is at zero hit points, you can instead use the highest number possible for each die. 
So they'll heal you, but you got to die first. <laughs> mm. Which makes a lot of sense. They also get the cantrip spare the dying, which uh, has which can be cast as a bonus action for them, which is kind of fun. And they also get eyes of the grave uh, when as an action, they can open their awareness to ma- magically detect undead. Um, and they can know the location of any undead within 60 feet, uh, beh- as long as they're not behind any cover, uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, they can use it uh, uh, many times equal to their wisdom modifier uh, per long rest, which means if you're looking for a vampire in a masquerade ball, he can find him. Just because. Um, their channel of divinity uh, is a, called Path to the Grave, uh, which is nice. As mm-hmm. an action... Choose one creature you can see within 30 feet uh, and curse it until the end of your next turn, which means it is cursed until the end of next turn. You don't have yeah, to you curse don't have at to it for a whole turn. Yeah. <laughs> Although I've played at your tables before. There's people I know that would actually do that. They take yeah. it as a challenge. Um, the next time you or an ally hits the cursed creature with an attack, the creature has vulnerability to the, all of that attack's damage. And then the curse ends. So if you've got a rogue or a paladin on your party, this is the team up you've been waiting for. Um, Sentinel at Death's Door, uh, where you can help somebody to um, uh, to uh, turn a crit into a normal hit, uh, potent spellcasting, and then they have Keeper of Souls as their capstone. They can uh, seize a trace of vitality from a parting soul and use it to heal the living. When an enemy dies within 60 feet of you, you are one creature of your choice uh, within that same range. I gained hit points equal to the enemy's number of hit dice. And you can do it once uh, per turn. So you can just reap those souls and keep your party up. It's like the real life version of video games where they drop little balls of XP Uh, that you you get to go pick up. Yeah. But it's life. <laughs> and, and it just like gets sucked into your character and you yeah. see your health bar go up. You're like, yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, then we have knowledge domain. I'll go a little bit faster. Uh, people who are just all about knowledge. Uh, Thoth is a good one here. Ogma from D&D is another one. Um, Hephaestophus would also be good here. They get things like identify, augury, speak with dead, uh, scrying, legend, lore. Uh, they also become proficient in uh, two of these, Arcana, History, Nature, or Religion. And your proficiency is, bonus is doubled for any ability check using either of those skills, which is kind of fun. Their channel divinity is Knowledge of the Ages. Um, you can, uh, as an action, tap into a well of divine knowledge. And for 10 minutes, you have proficiency with a chosen skill or tool. You can just make yourself temporarily proficient with anything. You just know how to use it. Um, they also get another one later on at sixth level called Read Thoughts. As an action, you can choose a creature. Uh, if they fail their wisdom save, uh, you can uh, read it surface thoughts. Uh, you can also use things like suggestion to uh, uh, to make them more potent. And then at uh, 17th level, their capstone ability is Visions of the Past. You can call up visions of the past that relate to an object. Uh uh, that you hold or in immediate surroundings. So you can literally like go into like a murder scene and just go, okay, what happened here? You can spend a minute in meditation and prayer and then receive a dreamlike shadowy glimpses of what had happened here or what had happened around this object, uh, which is pretty cool. And it, uh, you can use it once per short or long rest. That's really fun. That could be, that could be put really well to use in a like unsolvable puzzle. 
that you give yeah. your characters, specifically knowing that one of your your players has this ability. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or set up situations just so they can use that and feel yeah. cool, which is awesome. Uh, there's Light Domain, uh, Lathander, uh, Apollo would be good ones for these. They get things like Burning Hands, Fairy Fire, Fireball, Wall of Fire, Flame Strike. You're noticing the theme. It's just the fire domain. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the, uh, uh, the the guy you know who has the cool Zippo lighter always. That's this cleric. Uh, they gain the light cantrip. They don't already have it uh, for free. Um, they get something called warding flare at first level, where they can basically give disadvantage on an attack roll to one of their friends. Um, and then their channel divinity is called Radiance of the Dawn. Uh, you can, as an action, present your holy symbol, and uh, any magical da- darkness within 30 feet of you is just gone, regardless of level. Magical uh, darkness? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I know. Uh, and then each hostile creature within 30 feet of you, when you do this, has to make a constitution saving throw, uh, or take 2d10 plus your cleric level uh, of radiant damage. Uh, they get some improved spellcasting, improved flair, and then Corona of Light is their capstone. Uh, Corona being that edge yeah. of super, super <laughs> bright, virus. super hot. Oh no, my God. Can we just no. move on now? I don't want to do this anymore. Absolutely. I just want to go no on to no your debate. We know of associated with that word. It does not imply any of those things. <laughs> Which is an area of super hot, bright light around a body of uh, of of fire, like the sun. <sighs> uh, you can use your action to activate this aura that lasts for a minute. Uh, it emits, emits bright light for 60 feet and 30 feet dim beyond that. Uh, enemies in the bright light have disadvantage on saving throws against any spell that deals fire or radiant damage. Pretty cool. Not as blown away as some of the other ones, but still super neat. Uh, yeah, the nature domain, domain, uh, so things like Pan, uh, or Demeter would be good ones for this as well. They get things like speak with animals, animal friendship, uh, spike growth, uh, grasping vine, insect plague, you know, the usual, um, at first level, they can learn a druid cantrip of their choice. It doesn't count against anything. And they can also become proficient in one of these skills, animal handling, nature, and survival. They also gain proficiency with heavy armor. Their channel divinity, uh, if you listen to Adventure Zone, this one comes into play. They can charm animals or plants. Uh, they can present their holy symbols in action, invoke the name of their deity, and every beast or creature that you can see within 30 feet has to make a wisdom saving throw. I don't know how you make wisdom saving throws for plants, um, but if it fails... It would just automatically fail? Yeah, I'm going to guess it's real low. Um they're charmed by you for one minute or until they take damage, and it's friendly to you and other creatures that you I feel designate. like this is the anti-Snow White. It's like, no, mm. you will pay attention to me. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the plants and the animals aren't coming to the aid because they care about her and they love her. They're coming to the aid because they are being forced to against their will. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, there's, there's some implications with all this, and their capstone's called Master of Nature, which makes sense. Uh, at 17th level, you can gain the ability to command animals and plant creatures. Uh, while creatures are charmed by your ability, you can take a bonus action on your turn to verbally command each of those creatures what to do on its next turn. So it's just a beat up version of that. Again, not super overwhelming, but pretty cool. Uh, order domain, uh, uh, clerics of order of logic and justice, uh, things like that nature. Uh, things like uh, Bane, Tear, 
uh, would be good examples of this. Uh, they gain things like command, the zone of truth, sl uh, slow, compulsion, uh, commune. Uh, they also gain proficiency with heavy armor and then gain proficiency with either intimidation or persuasion. And they have something called the voice of authority. Um, you can, when you, if you cast a spell uh, of first level or higher and target an ally with it, uh, that ally can use the reaction immediately after the spell to make one weapon attack against a creature of your choice that you can see. Mm. Yeah, so like gives you kind of breaks the uh, the action economy a little, which is kind of cool. Uh, Channel divinity orders demand uh, as an action. Present your holy symbol. Uh, creatures within thirty feet of you have to make a whiz save, or they're charmed uh, by you, and uh, you can also cause them to drop whatever they're holding uh, if they fail at the saving throw, which is kind of neat. And their capstone orders wrath. Enemies you designate for destruction. Uh, wilt under the combined forces of you and your allies. Uh, if you deal your divine strike damage uh, on your turn, you can curse the creature until the start of your next turn. Uh, the next time one of your allies hits the cursed creature, they also take 2d6, 2d8 psychic damage, um, and you can do that once per turn. So pretty similar to things we've seen before, which is kind of neat. So uh, Order Domain just seems angry, like really angry. Like every, the world's a mess and I just have to rule it. Everyone lay down and die. Um, then we have, by comparison, the peace domain. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, things like uh, Rao uh, uh, and some other ones I've never heard of from different settings. Uh, they get heroism, sanctuary, uh, warding bond, beacon of hope. Uh, telepathic bond, greater restoration. They gain proficiency, insight, performance, and uh, persuasion. Um, uh, one of those, uh, they have the emboldening bond uh, where you can basically forge a bond with people. And uh, it lasts for 10 minutes. And uh, anyone who uh, is bonded like this can roll a D4 and add the number roll to an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. Uh, this one should be called better together because um, that's what that does uh, or this more than the sum of their parts uh, channel of any balm of peace uh, you can do it as an action move up to your speed without getting opportunity attacks because no one wants to hit you uh, and you can get within five feet of another creature you can restore a number of hit points equal to 2d6 plus your wisdom modifier which is kind of neat and our capstones called expansive bond um that same emboldening bond gets better and uh gets a better range and when a creature uses protective bond to take someone else's damage the creature is resistant to that damage so yeah it, it's really, really want to see a party of clerics that all have a different domain but it's all like 1970s hippies yeah amen pacifists and like yeah. you know plants and animals and peace and like the whole point of the campaign is not to kill anyone <laughs> It's just like a one shot or something. Wow. No, I love that. Uh, Tempest Domain, Thor, Zeus, uh, possibly even Poseidon would be good for this. They get Thunder Wave, Shatters, Call Lightning, Ice Storm, just a lot of destructive stuff. They get proficiency with both martial weapons and heavy armor. Um, they get something called Wrath of the Storm at first level. When a creature within five feet of you hits you with an attack, you can use a reaction to cause, then make a deck save or take 2d8 lightning or thunder damage, your choice, uh, which is kind of fun, uh, as many times as your wisdom modifier. Destructive Wrath is her channel divinity. This one doesn't require an action. 
When you roll lightning or thunder damage, you can use your channel divinity to deal maximum damage instead of rolling. Wow. And they just gave you an ability to do that, plus all of the extra stuff we just right. read. So they can do that all the time. This one gets really beefy. Their capstone uh, is called Stormborn. Uh, you have a flying speed equal to your walking speed whenever you are not underground or indoors. That's, That's it. Cool. You can just fly. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Storm from yeah, the yeah. Stormborn. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> trickery domain, charm person, disguised self. Uh, dimensional door, polymorph, modify memory. Uh, Ooh, that one sounds like yeah, a it is. So Jester from Critical Role is one of these. Uh, you can uh, at first level use your action to touch a willing creature other than yourself, and they gain uh, advantage on stealth checks. Last for an hour. Their uh, divine uh, channel divinity is invoke duplicity, which makes an illusionary copy of yourself uh, that you can see through or even cast spells uh, through as well. Um, and then the capstones improve duplicity, which is very funny. Uh, you can create up to four duplicates of yourself instead of one when you use it. And as a bonus action on your turn, you can move them any number up to 30 feet to a maximum range of 120 feet, which is kind of fun. Very much the Loki domain. Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, which makes perfect sense. Uh, there's two more left. We're almost done. The Twilight Domain, which is where you get to be a vampire who wants to, you know, date a teenage girl. I'm kidding. Um, the uh, I regret nothing. Uh, Twilight Domain, you get things like sleep, fairy fire, aura of life, greater invisibility, uh, the mislead spell, things like that. Uh, gain proficiency with uh, martial weapons and heavy armor. Uh, you have uh, dark vision out to 300 feet now, um, and you can see in dim light as though it were bright light or darkness as if it were dim light. You can actually share your dark vision as an action uh, within 10 feet of you. Uh, a number of creatures equal to your wisdom modifier, uh, and it lasts for an hour. Um, and you can do that uh, once per long rest or spend the spell slot to share it again. Uh, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's super rad. Uh, I've played with several Twilight Domain clerics, and they're always so hyped to do that. They love it, uh, and I, I accept it completely. Uh, Channel Divinity Twilight Sanctuary, uh, which sounds like a Zelda game uh, for the Switch. As an action, you can present your holy symbol, and a sphere of twilight em emanates from you, which is a buckwild sentence. 30-foot radius, filled with dim light. It moves with you and lasts for a minute. Whenever a creature, including you, ends its turn in the sphere, you can grant the creature one of these benefits. Temporary hit points equal to 1d6 plus your cleric level, or you can end one effect on it, uh, which cause it to be charmed or frightened. Which is amazing. This is a really cool domain. It is. Uh, capstone ability is called Twilight Shroud, which is the sequel to Twilight Sanctuary for the Switch. Uh, the Twilight that you summon offers a protective embrace. You and your allies have half cover while you're in the sphere, which is awesome. And then finally, we have War Domain. They get things like Shield of Faith, Magic Weapon, uh, Spirit Guardian, Stone Skin, uh, Flame Strike, Hold Monster, uh, proficiency with martial weapons and heavy armor. Uh, and also at first level, at first level, when you're engaged in battle and you use the attack action, you can make one weapon attack as a bonus action. So you get two attacks 
at first at level. level one. Wow. Yes. Now, granted, anyone could dual wield and do that, but that's not exactly what this is saying. But you can do it a number of times equal to your wisdom mod, and you get them all back at a long rest. And then their divine, uh, their channel divinity is guided strike. This is when you make an attack roll, just any attack roll. You can use your channel divinity with no action to gain a plus 10 to the roll. And uh, their final form is called the Avatar at Battle, uh, which makes a lot of sense. You gain resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical attacks. So Forge Cleric does it a little bit better, but still pretty rad. So uh, that's all the divine domains of Cleric currently in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. The Cleric is just such a versatile class. And I mean, obviously people can hear that now. There's so much more to it than just like here, have a Band-Aid. Um, yes. That that's, can be part of it, but you can really build something very powerful, very unique, very story-driven. All, you know, depending on what type of, of story you like to tell as a player, you can tell that story and you can use that type of role play with the Cleric, just depending on what domain that you decide to pick, which is so absolutely. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Especially too, I, th I love the rehaul they have here in 5th edition because there was a trope that clerics were kind of worthless except for healing. And now they've given them so much more to do that I've played with people who are like, you assumed I was here to heal? No, no, no. I didn't even prepare those spells today. You're on your own, kid. You know, where they, they didn't come to be a heal bot, they came to, to do some damage. Uh, and uh, I, I love that that option is now uh, really easy to take. Thanks for equipping the compendium. We hope you enjoyed listening in to the conversation this week. If you haven't done so already, it would help us out if you take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a good review. We hope to see you back in a few days for the next episode, where we'll be continuing our discussion, delving further into the world of D and D. Did we do a thing? Did a thing. You did a thing. You awesome.